0: Today's message is titled "God with Us." We know that Jesus is the Messiah. In Hebrew, Yeshua HaMashiach. That is how Jesus, the Messiah, is pronounced. Turn to Matthew one, eighteen through twenty-five. Matthew, chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty-five. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So here was Joseph. Eager and ready to start his new life with his young wife Mary. Things that they had all planned out for their lives. Looking forward to accomplishing these things together. But, God had a greater purpose for their lives. Just as He does yours. Joseph's dreams were all shattered when this bombshell was dropped upon his head. He finds out that his virgin betrothed promised wife is now pregnant. How? Why? Who? Can you imagine what was running through his mind? He had to have been torn and had doubts about the truth of what Mary explained to him about the visitation of the angel of God and the validation of the Holy Spirit coming upon her to impregnate her. How many of us, no matter how much we believe in God, would believe Mary without a doubt. But he wasn't willing to make her a public example. He could have done so, for by the law, a betrothed virgin, if she played the harlot, was to be stoned to death. But Joseph loved Mary. And even though he was very hurt and wanted to get a bill of divorce in her hand, as so to quiet the matter among them, being a just man, that is a strict observer of the law, he wouldn't proceed to marry her, but resolved to put her away. And yet, in tenderness for her, determined to do it as privately as possible. But again, God intervened and comforted Joseph with the truth. What a week those two were having. Can you imagine? What a roller coaster of emotions that must have been. Verse 20, Matthew 1 says But while he thought about these things, behold, This is Isaiah 7.14, saying, "...Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her, till she had brought forth her firstborn son." And he called his name Jesus. He took Mary as his wife, but waited until after Christ was born to have sexual relations with her. Now at this point in history, you got to remember, no one had heard from God for well over 400 years. 400 years of silence began with the warning that closed out the Old Testament in Malachi. Malachi 4, 5, and 6 says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. That's the very last verse in the Old Testament. And for 400 years God was silent. And then he showed back up on the scene in a pretty spectacular way. All of a sudden, the world will be changed forever. And it all begins with these two amazing pregnancies. Elizabeth, chosen to be the mother of John the Baptist, who we know is the forerunner of the Messiah. And Mary, chosen to be the mother of the Savior, the Son of God. So why did Christ come? Christians, I know you guys will say to save us. Yes, but why in the manner of a human baby? Why did God come to us as He did? We find the answer throughout the entire body of Scripture, starting in Genesis. Remember the Scripture points to the coming of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ on earth, and the return of Christ to rule and judge all. Generally speaking, in God's economy... There are only two men, the first Adam and the last Adam. When you were physically born, you were born of the first Adam. When you were born again, you were born of the last Adam, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-five through 49 says, And so it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. The first Adam was created directly by God without human procreation from the dust of the ground by God's magnificent hands. God the Creator entered the womb of Mary as Jesus' son, the last Adam, via the Holy Spirit. Jesus was not created. Jesus is the Creator. And if you believe in God the Creator, as I hope we all do, then you have no problem seeing that God could create Adam from the dust of the ground and conceive His Son within the womb of Mary without any human intervention. He doesn't need it. Trust me. If you believe in God the Creator, that this doesn't seem so far-fetched. And if you're a Christian, you better believe it. Because if you don't, I would definitely test your faith. In Mark chapter 1, his description shows Jesus in the wilderness just as Adam was. When you read it, I want you to look at the parallels of Adam and Jesus. Satan comes to Jesus using the same three temptations that he used with Adam and Eve. When they fell. The lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh. And the arrogant pride of life. Jesus and Adam were both without sin. But we know Adam, however, fell. And that sin caused death to come upon mankind. We needed someone to save us from sin and death and the one who conquered both is the last Adam who is Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega. Adam and Eve knew after they had sinned they needed to be saved. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together trying to cover their iniquity, their guilt and their shame. In the same way, fallen man will always try to justify himself before a sinless God with good works. Good works can never find salvation. There had to be a sacrifice. And that is what the Lord did for them in the Garden of Eden when He made clothes for them. God rejected the fig leaves and said that there must be blood atonement in order to remove sin. Every religion sows fig leaves together. Even though it's useless for gaining salvation. Even though they think that it will bring them salvation. And what we see here in the Garden of Eden, we see a Christophany. We we have God in the person of Jesus. The Lord performed the first sacrifice and made clothes for Adam and Eve as he himself would be the last sacrifice. Christ fashioned coverings for them from the skin of the first sacrifice. And we know that Adam, Eve, and their offspring performed blood-atoning sacrifices to God from then on. The proof of an acceptable sacrifice is shown again with their own first two children. The heart-wrenching story of Cain and Abel. And we know that Cain, his offering was not acceptable. Abel's was, and we know what happened after that. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Lord God of the Old Testament became Jesus Christ in the flesh. This means that Jesus is God of the Old Testament. The New Testament, forever eternal. Sadly, this is a fact that most people, they don't understand. They don't understand that Jesus is God. Jesus has been God. Jesus always will be God. And the most conclusive evidence of this is in scriptures, of course, and it comes from Jesus's own words. He says in John one eighteen, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And also Paul states in uh, Colossians one fifteen through seventeen, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by Him all things were created that are in heaven. And that are on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. Jesus has always been. And the Lord Jesus has always been the Father's representative here on earth. Appearing for Him and as Him. Jesus came that the world might see God in Him. See Him as God and believe in Him through Him. And we know in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ appeared in many ways and at many times. Hebrews 1, 1 through 1-3 says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express." Image of His person. And upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Anytime you read the Scripture, the Lord is walking. Remember when Moses, the Lord would show up at the tent? This is Jesus. He is God's representative on earth. God is a spirit. The Holy Spirit is a spirit. Jesus came to us as a human being. He is God's representative. If you would turn to Luke, Luke 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. And we know that Gabriel and Michael are the only two angels named in Scripture other than the fallen angel, Satan, Lucifer. Gabriel, he was the one who interpreted a latter-time prophecy concerning the Messiah, the Prince, to Daniel. He tells Zacharias that John the Baptist will be a forerunner before the Savior. And here he tells Mary that her son will be called the Son of the Most High. I would say that Gabriel has been given some pretty... And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. Try to put yourself in Mary's shoes for just a second. Can you imagine the thoughts and emotions that were... This is one of the most momentous points in all of history. And this young teenage girl is given this task of God that you are going to carry my son who will save the world. And this is a teenage girl. Can you imagine how she felt? Along with the other emotions that teenage girls go through. And this had to have been very overwhelming for her. And the first thing that she asked, how? Verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? There was her comfort. There was her proof. Wow, Elizabeth, she couldn't have children. So here she is in her old age. Her and Zacharias are going to have a son. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. John was in his mother's womb. He was still three months from being born. But he knew that he was in the presence of the Savior of the world when Mary walked in. It was still a fetus in the womb of Mary. So this kind of solidifies the fact when life begins in a womb, doesn't it? Verse 42. And she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. This is why it makes sense that Mary went to stay with Elizabeth and Zacharias. They believed in the honor bestowed to her by God because the same thing had been done for them. There wouldn't be no judgment, no false accusations, no ridicule of Mary. She had a safe place to stay. Now just picture for a minute. Can you imagine the multitude of angels that was protected in that house? I can't even imagine. And this once again shows the sovereignty of God orchestrating all things for His due glory. And Mary appreciates this. Mary gives glory to God as we all should when we are blessed. In verse 46, it starts the song of Mary. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For He has regarded the lowly state of His maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And it finishes saying, Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Mary was carrying the Son of God, the Redeemer and King of all creation, the Son of promise, the Son of redemption, the promised Messiah. And we remember Isaac and God's telling of Abraham to sacrifice his promised son. And this was an astounding command because. Abraham knew that Isaac was the son of promise. God had promised several times that from Abraham's own body would come a nation as innumerable as the stars of heaven. So trusting in that promise, how did Abraham respond to God's command to sacrifice Isaac? With immediate obedience. His wholehearted submission to God's confusing command gave God the glory he deserves. And it's an example of how we are to glorify God. When we obey as Abraham did, trusting that God's plan is best, we exalt His qualities and praise Him. Abraham's faith was such that even if he had sacrificed Isaac, he believed that the Lord would keep His word and raise Isaac from the dead. Hebrews eleven seventeen nineteen 19 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. God uses Abraham's faith as an example of the type of faith that is required for salvation. Genesis 15.6 says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. The righteousness that was attributed to Abraham is the same righteousness <coughs> Credited to us when we receive by faith the sacrifice God provided for our sins, which is Jesus Christ. The Old Testament history of Abraham is the basis of the New Testament teaching of the atonement, the sacrificial offering of the Lord Jesus on the cross for the sin of mankind. Flip over to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2, 1 through 35. Luke 2, 1 through 35. Verse 1, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Now they made the 70-mile trip from Galilee to Bethlehem with enough time to get settled in and prepare for the birth of Jesus. You you have to look at realistic pictures when you're you're reading Scripture. They didn't go in one day and, and she had the baby that night. That's not how it went you know they had to go 70 miles and basically it would have taken 4 to 7 days to walk that long journey but taking into account people that day if they didn't have horses or don't we don't know if she rode a donkey scripture doesn't say but still even if she had you ladies that have all had children that probably wouldn't be very comfortable after a while you'd probably rather walk and people of Jesus day they were accustomed to walking everywhere so yes this was a long journey for them but you know, 10, 15, 20 miles in a day wouldn't, wouldn't have been a big deal. Now, Answers in Genesis says of this event, and I quote, As the census was proclaimed throughout the Roman Empire, many Jewish families would have needed to travel to Bethlehem during this time and lodge with relatives who lived in the town. Joseph and Mary probably stayed with Joseph's relatives in Bethlehem, but because of the, the large influx of people, the house would have been crowded, and the Greek word used here, it's Cataluma, which means a guest room. So where it says the inn, it's a guest room, was full. Consequently, Joseph and Mary would have been relegated to living in the lower level of this house. It's hard to believe that pregnant Mary, Joseph's new wife, would have been turned away from a relative's home in a society that greatly valued family. They just said there's no room in the guest room. Archaeologists have excavated first century homes from the Judean hill country. They have discovered that the upper level served as a guest chamber while the lower level served as the living and dining rooms. Oftentimes, the more vulnerable animals would be brought in at night to protect them from the cold and from theft. This sounds strange to many of us since we wouldn't dream of bringing some of our cattle into the house at night. Well, down here that probably wouldn't be too far-fetched. But even today, in some countries of Europe, Germany, Austria, they still do this. You know, I'm sure people around here, if they have a prized animal, they're making sure it's not left out at night. We know what happens to little dogs and cats around here, don't we? With coyotes. The farmhouse and the animal quarters were part of the same building. And this is where the manger comes into play. In verse 7 it says, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Again, there was no room for them in the guest room. Mary likely gave birth to Jesus in the lower level of this crowded house in which some of the animals had been brought in for the night. She then wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And what swaddling cloths were, they were old garments of priests. That's what those were. And they laid him in the manger, which was, we know, a feeding trough. Verse 8. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, like the angels appearing out here in the middle of the night wouldn't have been enough of a sign for them. They even they reinforce it with saying this is what you're going to find. And this is the fulfillment of prophecy in Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, though you are little among thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from the old, from everlasting. Joseph and Mary, they had no, they had no way... To make it so he would be born in Bethlehem. God orchestrated it. It was told about in the Old Testament. All prophecies of God come true. We're just hanging around waiting for the rest of them to come. Verse 13 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. They were singing a blessing to us. We had no idea what we were just given. And can you imagine this angelic display? It would be like laying out in the field here in the middle of the night and then just, if you didn't pass out from shock or faint from fear. Can you imagine this display? And all of a sudden they're all singing goodwill towards men. Peace has come to you. And we have no clue the blessing that's here. And I would say there's obviously no doubt in the shepherds' minds after This encounter that the Messiah had come. That the Savior had been born. Verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven. That the shepherds said to one another. Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. Which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. I would have ran too. And found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him. They made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. God is with us. With the humanity that fell in the garden of Eden. Only a perfect, sinless human being. Only God Himself could be the propitiation to redeem us from our sins. Animal sacrifices covered the sins of the people. Jesus Christ was the final sacrifice that conquers sin and death for all people. In Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, if I were to go on a missionary journey and took some of you with me and just some other people, and we came across an indigenous tribe that had never seen any other people in the world, you know, here's, here's this group of white and black men and women, and we're just standing here in... Uh, They're looking at us and they'll say, Who are you? You know, I could explain to them that we are just like them, it's just our skin color is different. I could prove that we're the same, that there are others like me, there's others like them. But with God, when Moses asked him, Lord, who are you? What is your name? There was and is no comparison. God said, I am who I am. We are not like Him. Jesus made us like Him with what He accomplished on the cross. Someone had to die to pay the price for offending the holy and powerful God. So, in His ultimate and unfailing love, He and only He could do it and did it for us. For you. God is good. He is the definition of the word good. We are not good. At all. No matter how good we think we are. The vile things, the evil, the wickedness that comes upon us. We're not good. But what would a good and perfect God do with wicked, sinful humans? Because we know that His love and His holiness cannot dwell with sinful creatures. He could have destroyed all of us. He could have. But in His love, He preserved us and eventually came down as a baby in a feeding trough. His son, Emmanuel, to save what was eternally lost, that is the human race. Why do people reject this truth? Does truth cease to be truth if you refuse to accept it? Maybe in your own world for a short while but eventually the truth will smack you in the face whether you like it or not one day you will have to stare the truth of God in the face because your soul's at stake that's why Jesus came he is that truth you know at the temple Simeon sees God's salvation he sees this truth in Luke 2:25 through 35 he says and behold there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And we don't know how long he was told that and how long he had to wait. But by his answer, it seems like it was a while. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now are you letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, the sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That is why God came to us in the lowliest of circumstances, wrapped in swaddling clothes, Born for the sole purpose to die for the love of His creation so that they could be with Him for eternity. Born to show them the image of God through His Son. Born to show us how to live, to serve, and to love. God did all of this for you because of His immeasurable love for you. God loves you that much. Jesus Christ, Son of Mary, Son of God, the God-man, died for your sins because of that love. The virgin birth was a means God chose to bring His Son into the world so that He could defeat death, hell, and all evil, dying a substitutionary atoning sacrifice for our sins, such that we might inherit the free gift of eternal life simply through our trust and belief in Jesus Christ. We pay no price compared to the price that He paid. All we have to do is believe and trust Him. If you don't trust Him and believe in Him today, there's no greater gift. There's no greater decision. People want to give themselves a Christmas gift. Give your heart to Christ. Jesus was born so that we did not have to die. So with all of my heart, I say happy birthday, Jesus, my Savior, my God. And Merry Christmas to everybody.